Welcome to the podcast, everyone. I'm Chad Norman, Internet Marketing Manager here at BlackBot and your host for this nonprofit technology podcast. This is episode 21 for December 15th, 2008. Well, another year is almost in the can, and for webby tech geeks like us, it's been a big one. Software as a service, Twitter, Facebook apps, oh my. I thought we'd take today's episode to look at the NP tech tools and stories that impacted our lives over the last 12 months. But before we go all 2008 retro, let's meet today's panel. Coming back to us from Blackbaud, we have Steve McLaughlin, Director of Internet Solutions. Hello, Steve. Hey, Chad. Hello. Hello, Chad. Hello. We're not Hello. Okay. Um, anyway, you can find uh, Steve at blackbot.com slash connections, where he's blogging like a fiend. Or you can also find him at twitter.com slash McLaughlin. Melanie Mathos is back with us from Blackbot as well, the public relations manager. Hello, Melanie. Hello. Thanks for having me. Yeah, we missed you last show, um, but uh, we're glad to have you back. You can find her at blackbot.com slash news and twitter.com slash melmathos. Also joining us on the line is Danielle Brigida, the Associate Operations Coordinator from the National Wildlife Federation. Welcome back, Danielle. It's great to be here again. Yes, we love having you back. Uh, you've officially become a, a regular, and uh, we love it. I love it, too. Yes. It's totally mutual. <laughs> uh, we had a couple other people that were maybe going to be on the show. Uh, Michael Sola may be making a guest appearance at some time. Um, but for now, he is uh, busy at work up at the Chesapeake Bay Foundation, so. Hopefully he'll be able to join us, but if not, uh, I think we'll be able to hold the fort down. Who's, who's typing War and Peace in the background? <laughs> so, mm. oh, okay. <laughs> I am no longer typing. <laughs> ah, cool. This has been a long year um, that went by very quickly. I'm trying to figure out... Uh, <laughs> Someone's typing still. <laughs> no, yeah, I don't. I'm that typing. You? How can you hear that? It's <laughs> extremely <laughs> loud. <laughs> it's pretty loud. So what were the big NP Tech stories this year? Beth Cantor at Nomadex. <laughs> yeah, I mean, uh, that was on my list for sure. Um, that was big. That was pretty Obviously, big. Obviously, all the, the election-related stuff and the number of nonprofits engaged and you know, social networking and um, oh, yeah. driving constituents to, to get involved in the voting process uh, was huge this year. Yep. I think uh, the, we saw the real emergence of Facebook apps for nonprofits as a legitimate platform with Little Green Patch. I mean, uh, I think Jonathan mentioned today that they had reached $100,000 for the Nature Conservancy. I mean, we should start with Twitter. I mean, come on. We talk about Twitter all the time. Every tech podcast I listen to is obsessed with Twitter. I mean, I think we saw a lot of nonprofits using this well. I used it a lot at Go Green. Um, Danielle's been using it a ton at uh, NWF. Why have nonprofits really latched onto Twitter? Why is it such a great service and platform for the MP tech community? It's simple immediacy, right? I mean, uh, you can very quickly get your message out and... It goes to um, followers and, and uh, people who are interested in the things that you're doing, and it's very low tech, but high reach, right? Right. You just very quickly get those out to, to people who are interested in things. Yeah, I found using Twitter really great with Go Green, just as a simple way to sort of engage the techier crowd of our of our audience. You know, it's sort of really cool to kind of get, I think, to that. Uh, we always talk about the 99-in-1 rule when we look at online communities, and I, and I really think Twitter's a great way to engage that. Definitely the one percent, but also that other nine. When you know, when we had an event down at the um, the Earth Day Festival, it was really cool to be able to like uh, give special announcements to our, our Twitter followers, and we gave away a few things at our booth. 
it's just it was just kind of cool to be able to communicate in real time, like at an event with our audience, and uh, that's something that's certainly new and it's certainly beneficial to nonprofits. It's kind of cool being able to use Twitter as sort of a mini mobile network, right? And uh, you know, the probably the uh, cost of setting that up without Twitter would be extremely high, but it's so so cool that you can just sort of create one on the fly with Twitter and uh, really have a lot of power there. Well, they really emerged at NTC last year, right, with the the whole hashtag for Twitter for the Nonprofit Technology Conference. And I know this year at our Blackboard Conference, it really was a great way to meet people and kind of stay informed about everything. And I, I hear a lot more nonprofits talking about, you know, using that for their events now. So it'll be interesting to see that take off next year. Danielle, what have you guys sort of, what are you sort of looking at postmortem-wise with your Twitter use for this year? Um, are you... Uh sort of like looking at your results from communicating with your audience from 2008 and then looking at what you're going to do in 2009? Yeah, I mean, with Twitter, it's great because it's kind of like a a less formal way to communicate than an email. So, you know, people may be asking questions that are maybe less, I don't know, intense than if they were to write an email and they feel more freely. And so, like, part of what I'll look at is just, like, how many overall questions we got and how we answered them and then... And I'm also trying to like infiltrate this this whole like hashtag thing for when you see wildlife. Right. You want to watch that. So I'll see how that does. But really, I mean, we haven't even dipped our toe into what Twitter can do because there's like so much and and the gaff, like I didn't I mean, I, I've told you this before, but like I I didn't even realize the potential of Twitter until probably this year. So right. I've been building an uh, a community and we'll see where it goes. This is the year to use it, really. Yeah, and that's kind of what I thought when I was looking at this story is that, you know, sort of we all got sort of wise to it in 2007, but I think it was 2008 where we all sort of figured out how to actually use it. And I'm really excited to see what happens next year with it. I can't wait to see what they're – I think they're getting ready to roll out a bunch of new features and maybe monetize it and finally start, uh, you know, making the system a little more robust. I think that's going to be exciting as well. Yeah, it might be that we're we're in the middle part of the adoption cycle on this. You know, in 07, it was more of discovering some of these tools like Twitter and, and more immediate sources of, of pushing out content. And this year, lots of nonprofits playing around with it, experimenting with it, trying to figure out how to make some sense of it. And my guess is maybe in 09, it's more initial results. Hey, this works. This doesn't work. You know, well, I'll be at... Um, N10's NTC conference in San Francisco talking about what worked in 08 and what didn't. Right. I still think, for the most part, though, a lot of nonprofits are still on the very bleeding edge part of all this. That there's still a lot of nonprofits that would be like Twitter, what? Or I agree. You know, how does this work? But um, it's good that you know the the pioneers sort of a lot of times can can blaze the trail of, of where these things go. Right. Now, Danielle, um, I want to ask you a little bit about using a personally branded account versus a nonprofit branded account. Frank Barry from the Blackbot Contero Division sent around a link last night just about should brands be on Twitter? And interesting question. We sort of took the approach of at Blackbot of putting our people online, right, rather than a brand, although we do have a branded Twitter account. I think you get a lot of power when you have your people out there and uh, people know that I'm talking to, you know, Steve, the uh, director of Internet Solutions or Chad, the manager of Internet Marketing, rather than just some vacuous Blackbot account profile. And now, Danielle, I know you use both. I know you've yeah. Got, yeah, you've got an NWF profile, which I'm pretty sure you're manning, and um, then you've got your own profile. I mean, how can nonprofits sort of look at that question, whether or not to go online with their people or with their brand? Well, you know, I started off just signing NWF up because I didn't really understand what it was doing, and so I would just so I started off with NWF, and I saw like the potential, but really, in order to give NWF some light, it 
I have to say that I, I kind of agree with the way Blackbaud's done it as far as like putting all their people out there. And NWF has started to do that. Mm-hmm. Where the, the profile for the organization comes in handy is when I want our intern to tweet or I want specific updates that, you know, are really broad and overarching. And, you know, I mean, and people feel comfortable with NWF's brand. So they'll friend NWF's brand right. more freely yep. than maybe me right. because they might be either intimidated or just probably not intimidated but you know what i mean like i don't know this person whereas they can feel like they know a brand sometimes exactly um, and when i looked at like our you know the blackbud twitter account profile i thought you know you're not supposed to just be broadcasting out you know we we preach this and we read about it constantly that it's you know it's really beneficial for listening and for you know hearing your audience and communicating back with them rather than just saying here's a new blog post here's a new campaign we're running whatever what other uses do you see yourself um, using your nwf profile for other than communicating out, have you been using it to bring information in? Yeah, I mean, we've we've gotten some really interesting feedback about certain things that I've I've taken to our um, either customer service people or our people in the field. Some people have asked about like our, the listing or like how we view a listing on certain wolves in the Rockies, and okay. they've also asked, you know, why certain things how a shirt is made that we're selling or something along those lines. So we get valuable questions to our NWF profile right that's really neat and so we've definitely gotten value i think twitter is useless if you don't spend time listening right. and that's part of the reason why i signed up myself you know because i really wanted to partake in the conversation and i felt like as the organization you know i couldn't really do that but as myself i could and then sure. you know i could interact with the organization my question with you guys is like how do you feel about the followed everyone who follows you kind of thing because mm. I kind of took on an early approach that I was just going to follow people unless they were clearly you know spam right. kind of but but I've heard a lot of feedback and I don't know I just want to know when I first downloaded a uh, quitter just for fun I kind of got upset when I had people stop following me until <laughs> I realized they were spam and then you take a closer look at some of the people and you know it's it's not about uh, quantity <laughs> I think it's more important to just follow people and make it manageable and, you know, be able to provide interesting content that's relevant to them. And, you know, otherwise you're going to just be overwhelmed by a bunch of, you know, I had split pea soup for lunch kind of thing. Right. No, yeah. And I noticed that same thing too. Once I hit a threshold of around 300 to 400 people, it started to kind of just become noisy. And I also started feeling I, I was missing stuff because, the, you know, the homepage on Twitter was just going by so fast or all the tweets, you know what I mean? Like if you know, I didn't check every 10 minutes, I would miss like 100 tweets. And anyway, I felt like I was, I was starting to miss a lot of some of the people I really wanted to follow. I really think that, you know, if, if they start adding groups or, and things like that, it will really help with, with that problem. But I definitely took the approach of following anybody that looked like an actual person. You know, no spam, but I also wouldn't follow people if they refused to upload a photo. You know what I mean? Like it looked yeah. like a real person, but they didn't have an avatar. Uh, yeah. That was kind of shady. And, you know, and I haven't followed everybody that's followed me because I have about the same, my ratio is about one to one, but it's not the same people. I kind of pick, you know, I, I, I go through my list and pick people off that, that are following me, but I don't do everyone that's following me. I, I know that's a strategy some people take, but uh, I think I've augmented that with just some other people that aren't following me that just have interesting stuff to say. Yeah. I mean, I, I was reading a couple things where people, because my approach is, yeah, follow anyone who looks like a real person or anyone who, you know, I may want to engage in conversation one day. Mm-hmm. And I don't know, I really love the direct message thing. And so I feel like 
but right. people were saying that you miss a lot if you follow, and I follow a lot of people. Yeah, what are, what are you? How many are you following? Fifteen hundred around. Oh wow, yeah, I'm I'm at like five <laughs> and, something, and it's but great. I have that many followers, <laughs> right? I know. And I don't want to like don't brag, you know? No, 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 no. I'm not. I'm, I feel a little overwhelmed right, right now. That's yeah. why I'm saying it. But I also don't want to make anyone feel like I also feel like there would be no point to not follow them. I don't yeah, know. I'm, yeah. I'm. See, I'm, I'm perplexed. I don't know what to do. Yeah. <laughs> so, so I mean, I'm kind of getting to this point where I'm like, all right, well. Because I've read a lot of places where it's like, oh, if you have, follow that many people, your relationships mean nothing. And I'm like, no. Oh, no. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> I'm like, no, that's not what I'm trying to go for. But I just, I, like, I got into this place where I wanted to reciprocate as, as much as possible. Right. But, yeah, anyway. That's just a side question that has nothing to do with this podcast. But yeah, It totally does. Right? We're talking about how you use Twitter here. So. Yeah. Well, even even the other day, everyone's trying to figure out what the value in creating you know, an MP Tech group is, per se. Um, and I think it's extremely valuable just to be able to find those different types of like-minded people. Um, but I think it's still like a learning process is, you know, what are... What is this really going to mean for us and for our manageability of those friends and feeds? Hopefully, the answer will come down the line. <laughs> now, well, another question for these dual accounts. You know, I, I did this with the BlackBot account early. Do you ever use your NWF account to point to your other NWF Twitters? You know, like to say, like, hey, people that are following NWF, you might want to check out at StarFocus or you know some other people on your staff. Do you ever publicly point people to your your tw- other Twitter accounts? I I have been like thinking about doing that, and I might have done it before when people were re- retweeting things. Okay. I might have done that at some point, but um, I, at, once we build like a a large enough number of staff on Twitter, okay. I think it'd be really neat to have like NWF say, "Hey, if you want to follow some real people, here's because I mean, there's Kristen Johnson who is tweeting, and Green Hour, our online program, is tweeting." And that's Ann Keithman. And there are, there are a bunch of people from NWF on Twitter using it. It's just, you know, finding the right way to introduce them so it's not, it doesn't put them on the spot. Because none of them are as, like, open about it, I think, as me. Right. You know? Well, you brought up retweeting really quick, and this is a good question that I've sort of struggled with. Do you ever retweet yourself? Like, meaning, <laughs> you, you know, obviously, you know, maybe you're the... Uh, the wizard behind the curtain with the NWF account profile. So if you put something out on NWF, do you ever retweet it on your personal account? Like, is that weird? <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> yeah, I've done that before, and it ended up weirding me out. So I ended up just making Kristen t- retweet it on NWF's account because I mean there are a few of okay. us that have NWF's account. So I did. I have felt weird in the past trying to do that, but I mean at the same time, it's 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 a completely different audience. I feel like right. People who are following me sometimes are more social media, whereas the people who are following NWF are more, you know, wildlife. Me too. And hopefully there's like a mix. But yeah, it's yeah. definitely a Venn diagram. I mean, it, <laughs> it is interesting. It really is. And, you know, I've thought about being completely transparent and being like I also tweet for at NWF. And, you know, I certainly don't want to hide that or anything like But, I mean, it's not just me anymore, so I feel right. a little bit better. Right. <laughs> I think that's how most organizations are. It's not just one person. Or, it shouldn't right, be. Right. Um, that's for sure. So, Yeah. I mean, because when we were doing our presentation, like somebody had gotten on from NWF and started tweeting about okay. the presentation. So, right. Right. Yeah. Very cool. All right. Twitter. Um, I think one of the most amazing things was this year at the watching the election on, you know, search.twitter.com. Yep. 
did, if, did you watch the hashtags while it was happening? Absolutely. I had Amazing. my laptop on my lap, um, you know, uh, that, TV in front of me. It was fantastic. I love yeah. getting the news from Steve Mack right before CNN said it. So. <laughs> <laughs> well, cool. Well, then we can uh, segue right into the uh, talking about the campaign again, if you'd like. I mean, uh, we did a whole episode on that. I don't know, know if we need to, you know, beat that uh, course anymore. But I certainly think those tactics are going to, like, really change what happens from now on with all kinds of campaigns, whether it's a you know, political campaign or any kind of just communications campaign. I, I can see all of those concepts and uh, tactics being copied for years. Um, what do you sort of think was the best use of technology out of the campaigns? Was it the Twitter accounts that were used? Was it the, um, the great uh, you know, portals for uh, supporters? What, what was sort of the, the big, big takeaway there? Well, it seemed like the, the thing that got the most attention by everyone, although I would consider it to be relatively low-tech and sort of old school, was using text messaging to by the Obama campaign to let them know about the VP selection. Ah, yeah. um, you know, I think people were, wow, they're going to announce it by uh, text messaging. And I think most sort of diehard in the, in the weeds tech people would go, that's nothing fancy. But it, it was appealing to a mainstream use for it. Of course, until CNN let the cat out of the bag early. Right. You know, not to be outdone by electronic media, I guess. <laughs> well, you know, I, you know, we talked about uh, you know, radio and newspaper and, uh, you know, TV's probably next. <laughs> they got to try to scoop when they can. <laughs> well, they have the hologram now. It's all right. Oh, that's true. That's very true. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, the, the Star Wars stuff, right? The hologram will save media. <laughs> Help me, Obi-Wan Kenobi. Oh, yes. Oh, correct me if I'm wrong, but have you noticed how um, everyone's been watching television on online now? Like TV on ABC.com and CBS and everything else. And there are like little chat rooms you can go into. To, I mean, that, that I've noticed has been happening a lot this year. That's like, very interesting. That's how, that's how I watch my TV now. Okay. Yeah, I think there's definitely been a big switch from multitasking to multi-channeling in the past year, 18 months or so. Uh-huh. Where it's just, you know, watching television while on your iPhone or while <laughs> on your MacBook or whatever you just don't you don't think about you don't think about it anymore. Well, I wonder if it's sort of like this mystery science theater phenomenon where it's like we just want to watch TV with our friends. You know what I mean? Like uh, instead of at home uh, alone on our couch, it's it's sort of more fun to to multi-channel like you said and and watch something and talk about it at the same time and post about it and it's the rock band phenomenon. You would much rather play fake plastic instruments than listen to music sometimes, right? <laughs> That's very true. <laughs> Should we talk about Facebook a little bit? Little Green Patch. We had Jonathan Coleman on here a few episodes back. He um, emailed me this morning and tweeted about it too. That uh, Little Green Patch has reached over a hundred thousand dollars for the Nature Conservancy. And I know that uh, Facebook application has spawned several copycats, including a little Sea Garden, some other stuff like that. What other cool apps have been out there? And like, how do you think this sort of thing will? You think it'll continue into next year? I mean, will it get bigger and bigger? Are we sort of getting past the barrier of creating these apps in the first place? I don't know. I, it could be. I do wonder about the novelty of some of these things mm-hmm. and whether the fifth incarnation of Little Green Patch, if people go, okay, I've tuned out. I mean, I think that's something that a lot of nonprofits that, that I've been talking to lately are, are really wondering what is the, you know, how much does this scale? What's the attention span? At what point does the novelty or some of these things wear off or. You know, how many people can I possibly follow, or how many people can, how many groups can I be a member of before it becomes more me- more meaningless to, to what they're trying to do? And I don't know if we're there yet. Right. Um, maybe I think maybe it's generational. 
about what your attention span uh, is for, right? I don't have much left, to be honest, attention span, so. <laughs> yeah, I'm with you there. And I definitely sort of, to be honest, started tuning out some of the little green patch and sea garden stuff um, just because it's simply, you know, you get 10 to 15 of those a day. I just wonder if some, somebody's going to stumble onto something else that's like that. Or is it just going to revert back to Facebook being a great way to, you know, bring people together and to, you know, work with, you know, work with causes and things like that? Or, or is our applications going to continue to evolve? I think applications are kind of to the point where they have to be really amazing. <laughs> I agree. I agree. I could be wrong. But yeah, I mean, I, I think a little green path was fantastic for TNC and, and everything, but I, I still don't know how it got to be as big as it did. Right. It's crazy. Yeah, it you really never is. know what's gonna what's gonna catch. You really don't. If I knew I would figure it out for NWF. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well you know, you just know someone you know, it's gonna be three months from now we're gonna be talking about uh, X, Y, and Z and it's gonna be something amazing that somebody's developed and I just can't wait well, to see what it is. And it also, since you, you think about it, you know, a place like Facebook or really any social media site, there's a mix of both for profit and non profit organizations all trying to get in your face and get you to want to pay attention to what they're what they're doing and and you do sort of wonder at what point will the for-profit folks spend a whole bunch of time trying to attract people and, and can nonprofits keep pace or are they better off sort of being fast followers and and saying oh coca-cola did this with the olympics and so that's an interesting concept how could we do that around recycling or coastal cleanup or you know, vol- volunteering in an animal shelter. It'll be it'll be interesting to see what happens with that. Mm-hmm. I really think people are just going to have to get more creative with how marketing's done and how you know you you make kind of connections. Like, I mean, I'm sure if if Little Green Patch had come to us and been like, "Hey, will you you know partner with us? We'll give you money," we would have been like, "Uh, sure, right. <laughs> maybe, but maybe not." Um, <laughs> then we would have been sad, <laughs> but you got to think about what people do regardless of whether or not they're involved with you. So like if we could partner with a game who every time you played it or like you donated a penny to NWF, that would be awesome. Ooh, that's nice. Yeah. But yeah, that's my next idea. Don't right. steal it. I'm just kidding. <laughs> Too late. I do wonder in um, the fun economic times that we're living in now, how much programs like this or ideas about doing this stuff will get impacted in the nonprofit space, right? Are people who maybe thought about doing more of this type of online acquisition and, and building relationships with constituents since it's not clear if there is any money in it or there's any sort of meaningful, measurable goodness in it, whether they scale back on it because they need to focus on tried and true mm-hmm. fundraising fundamentals. It, I, I don't know the answer to that. It, it's I'm wondering what people are going to think about where they choose to invest their their time and resources next year. That's going to be the challenge. I mean, they're going to need to be able to really focus on doing both well. You can't just stay status quo and focus on traditional techniques when there's, you know, all these organizations out there making noise in these spaces. You don't want to be left out of the party, especially when it's largely free party. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, and I think when you're talking about using Twitter and Facebook and some of these tools for communication vehicles, they are free, but you know, then moving into like creating an application for Facebook or the iPhone, you're you're, you're talking about developers and and real cost there. So, you know, I, I wouldn't I wouldn't be surprised if that sort of area slowed down a bit, and um, you know, people then focus more just on like, hey, is it is it worth my staff's time to like be listening on Twitter, 
yeah, because it's only an hour a week and, and that's not the end of the world, but versus you know several thousand dollars or whatever to create an app. There's a big difference there. Do you guys ever feel like you're on Twitter and you're getting friended by a lot of marketers? I mean, a lot. <laughs> well, we More are marketers. So. <laughs> that's right. I know, but I but I seriously, I mean, I'm... I'm not even in a marketing department. I guess I am. I'm going to be soon, but yeah. I I'm amazed. I'm like, where are the wildlife activists? What's going oh, on? Oh, right. But, why aren't why, why, why I mean, wildlife people following me? <laughs> no, but I think I I mean I think if you ask me what Twitter is to me, and then you ask like the next person, it won't be that different. Even though we both have you know I guess different goals with it or whatnot, but it is pretty neat. Cool. What about the Google verse this year? I love Google. I'm a huge Google fanboy. I can't wait for them to uh, take over the operating system. But this year, I mean, they've been in the last two weeks. They've been releasing something big every day. It's been impressive. But they finally th- got something that wasn't in beta anymore. I mean, it's amazing, <laughs> right? <laughs> I mean, uh, some of the big stuff that came out, you know, this year, Chrome. I think was actually, uh, you know, a few years from now, we're going to see that as uh, a bigger event than than maybe we do today. Google Friend Connects, um, the profiles that they just launched, um, you know, uh, video chat, all these things, um, just one after the other. How is this going to affect nonprofits? I'm, I know there's always a lot of talk about, you know, open office at nonprofits, but there's obviously Google Docs as well. Are nonprofits continually looking to Google as a, um, you know, a free sort of friend in the space? I would say yes. <laughs> yeah. I would say a lot of the technology, and especially Google, I mean, we even use Google Talk at work. I mean, we, we use Google a lot. Right, that's what I was going to say. Not necessarily I mean, for document sharing because we have SharePoint, but if Google were to come up with something like that, yeah, sure. we would use Oh, it's only a matter Online of time, platform. I'm sure. Yeah. No, I think Google, I, with Google Grants and everything else, yeah, nonprofits can really benefit from using Google better, especially with all their like search engine optimization tips and everything else. Right. I've learned a lot from Google. I feel like Google was a mentor. To me. <laughs> Ooh, nice. <laughs> it's very non-evil of them. They don't care about me, but no, right. just <laughs> and and the Google themes, which is new. I'm stressing out about that because we don't have those yet. Oh. <laughs> You can now get a Google Cause theme, and a lot of the major organizations have one, except, I guess, Nature Conservancy, me, and Chesapeake Bay Foundation. Basically, you can download a, a theme for your favorite cause, whether it's environmental or... Um, yeah, like World Wildlife Fund has one. Don't rub it in. Are the themes applicable in your Gmail, too? I, I heard you... The and- Gmail themes are great. I, I use them, you know, a different theme on every account, which is nice, because then I have a visual cue of which one I have open. I don't know if you guys have that problem. How is... You know, Google really any different than Microsoft 10, 15, 20 years ago, right? Microsoft owned the desktop. They went into that market and they built an operating system to pull all this stuff together. The, you know, the people, the reason people picked it, it was because it was better than any anything else that was on the market, right? I right. mean, if you go back in the 80s, there were no good operating systems. I mean, Microsoft was was the thing to use. So be careful what you wish for. <laughs> right. Yeah, I know. I, I, guess. I, I just don't see I, I see it as being the same thing. Yeah, I think they're very yeah, similar. Yeah. No, I do too, as far, definitely as far as pervasiveness. I mean, I, you know, I still think Google has that dream of a, um, you know, a thin client on our side where it's just in, like an internet appliance, and we pull up our mm-hmm. operating system, which is Chrome, and we can pull it up on any, any device we want, whether it's our desktop, our laptop, our phone, our car, our refrigerator. You know what I mean? And we have all of our stuff there. And it's free. Yeah. Maybe they just did a better job ads, of right? marketing of it than, than yeah. Microsoft did. Because Google, when you think Google, you don't think sort of tech, you know, hardcore techie people. But Microsoft, they have that 
persona. Google is, hey, it's cool and it's, you know, there's that coolness factor of it that Microsoft is never going to be able to pull off because they're not perceived as being that way. But ultimately, they still dominate the space and they came out with a browser. With Chrome, like, without all the Firefox downloads um, and add-ons, I... I can't use Chrome. I live for like my right. stumble upon toolbar and everything else. And okay. so I don't think I don't think Chrome is is really threatening Firefox yet. But yeah, you know, we I use it every once in a while when um my machine is just dogging, like when it's really slow or cuz you know sometimes my Firefox, I mean it'll crank my resources up to 80% and I have no idea why and it's slowing down my whole machine and you know then I just close it, open up Chrome and try to get to where I was going and just oh it loads so fast. But it is because it doesn't have anything under the hood. I mean, I live for my extensions in Firefox, too. They both have a place for me right now. That's what I'm trying to say. Yeah. <laughs> you love both. Yeah. Well, I don't know if I love Chrome yet, but I'm definitely in lust with Chrome. So. <laughs> <laughs> Which is, you know, a good step. You know what it is? Maybe Google makes data more accessible, and that's why people trust it so much, even though they really should Right. Or something. I mean, I don't know. Like, their APIs and everything they have available is really, really intriguing. Yeah. I mean, once they, once, I think once they get that, I don't know if you guys have filled out your Google profile yet, which is, yeah, me too. And that's what you need for, you know, your uh, Google Friend Connect stuff. And, uh, I think once they combine that with Gmail and iGoogle and, um, Jaiku, what are they doing with Jaiku? Where's that? I don't even know what that is. That's their Twitter. (laughs) I mean, they bought Jaiku a few years ago couple years ago and uh just sat on it i think it's because they're waiting to integrate it into all this stuff i still think that overarching thing is really powerful i think it's going to end up being a a really interesting battle between google and facebook for your online identity you know what i mean could be yeah a lot of people committed to facebook but i think there's a lot of you know geeks that want to go to google simply for what you were talking about that that openness of data and that the way it can just transfer from one service to the next to the next you know, I think that's going to become more and more important as uh, you know things move on. But that's how scary. how yeah. readily accessible is that stuff? I mean, yeah. I guess this is you know, it's it's the end of a very long year, and you know, been to lots of conferences, heard lots of people talking about a lot of stuff. So being in the hype circle, the hype tornado, right. <laughs> constantly. Sometimes you step back out and go, so open source or this or that. Besides the diehard techie people who are really focused on that, if I'm the executive director at a at a foundation who is trying to raise a million dollars or fifty million dollars or a hundred million dollars or a billion dollars, how much do I really care about that stuff? And mm-hmm. I'm not sure I'm not sure we're there yet, right? I still think this is still a lot of these things are a technical discussion for the technical people in the crowd. I'm always sort of um, dismayed that there's not more fundraisers engaged in this conversation to mm. balance out the techiness of all this stuff, right? Because a fundraiser or a marketer may look at some of these tools and go, well, what you really would want to use it for is mm-hmm. this. And I still think we're in the early days where we're fascinated by our new toy and we're just looking at it for right. technology is for technology's sake. And I wish there were more fundraisers engaged in this conversation about how these things could be used and, you know, What's SaaS? What's in it for me as a fundraiser? Mm-hmm. You know, tell me something there that I would be interested in hearing about. Besides the fact that, well, it's SaaS. You know, it's it's like Spinal Tap. Well, it goes to eleven. You right. Know, <laughs> big deal. Let's just make ten louder. Yeah, that's a valid point. I mean, uh, there definitely needs to be a uh, you know real world application 
voice in the conversation rather than just a bunch of us uh, webby tech geeks. If you're on all these networks and if you're talking to your to your constituency and you're really trying to engage with them and everything else and you're savvy at it, like it makes you more desirable by corporate partnerships, which right now is kind of the way to go, especially with the economy the way it is. People are kind of scared to donate and they'll only do it if they're really comfortable with you and you've got to be a personal like organization to somebody for them to want to donate. Um, and, you know, you've also got to be somebody desirable to a corporate partner. I mean, and that's something that, you know, I've been trying to, like, really talk about within my organization, you know, like, why am I spending time on all this stuff if it doesn't really matter? And it does, because one, I'm talking to people who care about the issue, and two, I'm making us more well-known within, you know, other corporate entities that are doing the same thing, trying to do the same thing. Right. So, you know, I mean, there's definitely... You're more magnetic, right? Because you've got more people. (laughs) attracted to the things that you want to do and other right. people want to they 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 want to be affiliated affiliated with nonprofits that are doing progressive cool stuff because that's right. who they're trying to reach as well and they exactly. I think there's a greater corporate awareness that they need to be good corporate citizens and so mm-hmm. they're more likely to want to work with somebody who gets this as opposed right. to somebody who has no clue how this Someone who how gets these it things and can work. leverage it mm-hmm. you know yeah. Um, and I think that's something that's really neat about what's happening, but it's also changing the way we fundraise. It's not like, oh, I mean, fundraising is still going to be as effective if someone goes to your door, you know? Like, that is the way to get it done, I think. Hmm. Um, but at the same time, you've got people like Beth Cantor and others leading the way, showing you that it can be very personal online. But we may have to change, like, what fundraising technically is is based off of like and that's probably going to take a few years i mean you think about roi and everything else and really what you have to do when you're planning a campaign is decide okay what am i looking for well, yeah i was just going on and on about how i think fundraising will change well it's the perfect storm with social media and the economy we'll see but i mean like you said it could go the other way that could be like, well, look, we need to stick to more traditional stuff that's more proven. I think is what Steve was saying, like email and direct mail and face-to-face. I don't believe that myself, but there might be some conservative yeah. executive directors that feel that way. Well, speaking <laughs> of the year in review, uh, maybe we should talk to Melanie for the BlackBod News year in review. Yes, Chad. We started off the year by making the Razor's Edge API available free to net community customers and forming BlackBot Interactive, a division focused on our internet solutions and services. That kind of set the tone for the release of 5.5 uh, BlackBot Net Community in July, and that included uh, the Wave Social Networking along with some other major enhancements, so we were really excited about that. That was kind of the big news on the internet front until the big news came in May when BlackBot announced its intention to acquire Kintera. Uh, so in July, when the acquisition closed, our product development teams took off running, and the first order of a business from a tech side was the launch of the Sphere RE connector. So once people were baiting that, the teams moved on to where they could make the most value uh, for our combined customers, which was making friends asking friends functionality available to net community customers. And this also happened quickly, and one of the first nonprofits to take advantage of it will be the Kidney Foundation of Canada, who recently partnered with BlackBod to implement a bilingual national website powered by a net community sphere combined solution. And 2009 will be another great year of innovation for the Cantera division and BlackBod Internet Solutions teams. We also launched NetWits Live, an event series that explores nonprofit internet strategy, 
which featured a few of our fellow podcasters here today, as well as Holly Ross from N10. This was a great collaborative event, and we plan on offering more of these sessions in 09, with the first being held in San Francisco on February 10th. And though registration is not technically open yet, our podcast listeners can get the VIP treatment by emailing seminars at blackbaud.com to reserve their spot today. Also in July, BlackBot hit the road in the midst of the U.S. financial crisis with an interactive seminar series called BlackBot Delivers, which focused on fundraising during a recession. In 2008, BlackBot Delivers began its mission to offer practical nonprofit management seminars presented by some of our brightest experts in a variety of major cities and on the Internet. And you can download the presentations or view a recorded webinar at blackbaud.com slash blackbauddelivers. And for next year, we're going to kick off in Houston and Atlanta on February 11th with the theme of Worry Less. And the content in 09 will be geared towards helping you reduce your worries and put the practical steps you need in place to keep your fundraising on the upswing in 2009. Another issue that is top of mind for nonprofits, or should be, is PCI compliance. BlackBot joined the PCI Security Standards Council this year and launched a PCI blog. You can visit blackbot.com slash PCI. In 2009 will be a pivotal year for PCI compliance. After October 1st, everyone who processes credit cards will have to be PCI compliant or use a PA DSS validated product. So uh, not to worry for BlackBot customers, but it's definitely something that you'll need to look at within your organization. And now for some quick company highlights from the year. We are very excited to partner with several new nonprofits on BlackBot Enterprise CRM projects, uh, most recently the Salvation Army Southern Territory and the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod. The Financial Edge, the Razor's Edge, and eTapestry won Campbell Awards for user satisfaction. BlackBot was named to Forbes Magazine's 200 Best Small Companies in America list and Software Magazine's Software 500 ranking of the world's largest software providers. E-Tapestry launched a Spanish version of its on-demand fundraising software and launched the solution in Mexico and Spain. And BlackBot's recent Conference for Nonprofits welcomed more than 1,400 attendees for a technology preview of the company's new cloud computing platform codenamed Nimbus that is currently in development. If you missed that, you can check out a replay from the events page on the BlackBot website. So save the date for next year's conference to be held in Charleston from November 15th to the 18th. And that's the year in review. Wow, impressive. I, I feel like we should be exhausted. Yeah, I am too. Yeah. Hey, we, we also <laughs> did a bunch of cool social media stuff, don't forget. We launched our entire uh, BlackBot blogosphere in February, right? We've had over 1,000 posts, uh, over 100 contributors. I think it's, we're up to 20 blogs now, so that's been big. Um, I can't believe we weren't blogging last year. That's Well, crazy. we were. We had BlogBot, but that was, you know... It was just for a select group of us, but uh, now we're really going company-wide with it. And uh, we also launched those idea banks, which I'm always kind of really proud of, the uh, interactive community for software suggestions. So we have that for about five or six products now where users can log on and uh, submit an idea, talk about it, vote for ideas, and you know help us improve our, our software as a community. So really like those things as well. Not to mention it's been fun playing with all the social media stuff with, with all you folks this year on Twitter, and Facebook, and everything else. Busy year for us. Anywho. What other fun tech stuff happened this year that necessarily aren't in P-Tech? Blu-ray? We have a winner, right? Does anybody actually have a Blu-ray player? I do. PS3. Oh, nice. Two for one. Do you have any actual <laughs> movies? Are you using it? I've got uh, I've got some good movies All and right. some fun games. and uh, Yeah, 
Very good. Finally, Sony built a proprietary media format that paid off for them. <laughs> right. Betamax didn't work. Uh, memory, memory stick, stick sort of kind of no. Yep. Uh, what was the other thing that they did? Well, I think the the PSP stuff is a flop as a media format. Oh, UMD. Yeah. UMD, yeah. Yeah, although I love the PSP. I mean, wow. Yeah, I got that when it came out, and I can't wait But for nobody's duplicating their movie collection for that. No, right? I, yeah. That Unless was, uh, the writing was on the again. wall at the beginning of that. The UMD was not going to make it. I mean, what about, uh, I was really pumped about Netflix streaming movies. I think, uh, they piloted it on the PC, but I think, you know, taking it to the Xbox, and I hear they're going to be taking it to TiVo now. I think, uh, we're going to look back on this as a bigger deal than it seems right now. I think having, uh, finally we've, we're going to have streaming movies, which we should. I'm, I'm really anti ownership when it comes to media. Like, I don't really want to own a CD or a movie. I'm really into, I just want to watch it or listen to it when I want to. So I think this is a step in the right direction. What else happened? The Google phone? Oh, how did we not mention that when we talked about Google? G1, getting on to our mobiles. Bill Gates. Steve, what do you think that's going to mean for mobile texting here in the U.S. now that we have a good mass of people using smartphones? Time will tell. I have this hunch that, at least in North America, we'll probably leapfrog or jump over um, a technology trend. You know, in Europe and the U.K., text messaging and SMS is still... Huge. We, I think in North America, we don't look at it as being the same technology. And obviously, the more you have smartphones and the iPhone and everyone copying the iPhone, I think more communication that's smartphone browser based, more glorified SMS yeah. is probably the way of the future. Or browsing your website on your smartphone. You know, you go, you go to Amazon.com on your smartphone, it is a much more dumbed down experience, but I can still all do the things that I want to versus texting or SMSing links back and forth. That seems to be a waste of time on a, on a smartphone since the device can do it. Right. I think mm-hmm. also, too, the, one of the final frontiers is going to be GPS and implementation of that technology into you know, fundraising strategies and things like that, and let alone advertising and everything like that. I think everybody carrying around a GPS device in their pocket is going to really change things five years from now. Not necessarily next year. for a while, but they're actually using it now. <laughs> exactly, exactly. You know, I think, yeah, more people are figuring out. It wasn't necessarily the technology, which has been around, but it's like, what do we do with it? And I think that's going to be the real big gains in the near term. All right, does anybody want to do any shout-outs? Anybody got anything cool going on? Steve, we got on the horizon? We have uh, Blackboard Net Community version 5.6 that ships before the end of the year. One more product release before the end of the calendar year and we're uh we're getting very excited about some cool stuff we're going to be doing in 2009 i think it's gonna be a really exciting year um in the nonprofit industry and and some of the things that blackbot are doing and we're excited about it wish wish it couldn't get here uh, fast enough yeah yeah definitely sounds very cool danielle you've always got interesting stuff going on at nwf um nwf we're just kind of we're doing a couple of things but actually one of the most recent things that happened was uh, with the Endangered Species Act, um, as we know, as Bush is leaving office, he is trying to do a couple of things um, that are not good for wildlife. And if you're interested to learn more, go to wildlifepromise.org. We actually had this blog post on the front pages of Dig and Reddit Mix. And so Very cool. it's good to be up to date. Yeah. All right. Melanie, do you have anything uh, for our listeners? Just stay tuned to blackbaud.com slash events. We have a lot of exciting events coming out for free to help nonprofits during this difficult time. And we're also increasing our philanthropic focus. A new team this year that's done a lot of wonderful things. And you can read all about that at Blackbaud News Blog. Cool. Yeah, speaking of one of those free events, I think I'm going to be out with Steve 
Allison Van Deest, uh, another uh, broadcaster out in San Francisco in early February for another Netwits Live event. Very excited to be speaking at that. And uh, I think I'll be at N10 as well um, with Corey talking about podcasting. It's going to be a fun year for sure. And um, also got a baby due any day now. So um, mm. the next the next episode of the podcast, we should have another little podcaster in the family. So very excited about that. <laughs> Keep this, us posted. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I def- definitely will for sure. I'm going to be, yeah. I'm sure, tweeting from the hospital. Right I hope you are. <laughs> I hope I find well, out. Hopefully they tweet. have bars there. It's AT&T. You never know. Well, that does it for this episode of the podcast. I'd like to thank our guests, Steve McLaughlin, Melanie Mathos, and Danielle Brigida. You can keep up with the podcast and other webby things by following me on Twitter at twitter.com slash chadnorman or by checking out my blog at blackbaud.com slash webby things. If you have any feedback for us, please send us an email at thebodcast at blackbaud.com. And I certainly want to thank all of my guests throughout the year who have uh, given us expertise and time. Uh, we certainly couldn't have done it without you, so thank you to you all. And um, we'll be back in 2009 with a bi-weekly episode, some uh, old friends, hopefully some new friends, and um, maybe we'll do some live streaming as well. So until then, I'm Chad Norman, and thanks for listening to the podcast. Have you seen the South Park where they all play World of Warcraft? Ooh, no, but that sounds good. <laughs> pretty funny. You should definitely try and, uh, try and catch that. Yeah. So you became a fan, Chad, on Facebook. A fan of what? No, it was Dungeons and Dragons. Oh yeah, yeah. I don't know. The I'm old school. Come on, <laughs> <laughs> I rocked a RPG on uh, paper, not the internet. <laughs> Just a real quick break here. Um, Michael says, "I'm sorry, he's late, he's late for the party. Um, he's not going to make it." He said to get his best to everybody and to tell Steve that the Steelers suck. <laughs> well, you know, Aww. it's a sore loser, right? Yeah. <laughs> I'm a Colts fan. I'm not rooting for either. <laughs> We need the wild card too. <laughs> <laughs> well, you don't. No, we're good. Yeah, we're you're, good. You're good. We do. So.